NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. And just like that, my summer months were folded into a beach blanket only to be stored with the tank tops and flip-flops. Sigh, my name's Bri, uh, but that's the wrong expression. Actually, September is here, and that means autumn sports, new classes, and monarch butterflies flying south for the winter. September is actually sensational. So Tanya, two years ago today, the 21st of September, we danced with Kwame Mabalia, Varian Johnson, and Julian Randall in a celebration of their collaboration on Black Boy Joy. Alas, there was one individual, a stellar writer named Don P. Hooper, who wasn't there to dance with us. Yes, he took part in the collection, too, with his brilliant story, Got Me a Jetpack, which I absolutely loved. So this is why I was thrilled to receive True True, his first novel in the mail from Penguin Random House, another brilliant Nancy Paulson book. As other reviewers have said, it is a love letter to Brooklyn and the Caribbean culture. We are thrilled to have the debut novelist with us tonight on the right time, but I'm also aware much of the energy will be coming from the Northeast for the show. So I have to think about my colleague, Tanya. How are things on the West Coast? You know, the West Coast, well, people who live here think it's the best coast. I think it's a fine coast. But as you know, as an East Coaster who's washed up over here, I'm always excited when you bring the East Coast energy to the show. So I'm very excited that we're having a truly New York experience tonight, and I can hardly wait. Um, it was so great when you told us, told me that Don Hooper was going to be on our show tonight, and you said, who should we get? And I said, you know, we'll just call the New York City Writing Project. They'll know the perfect person, which as it turned out, they did right away. Jane connected us to Abambola Kai Lewis. Abambola Kolkai Lewis, who rose to the occasion to be our teacher leader interviewer tonight. And we're once again thrilled to host another episode of The Right Time coming from the East Coast. And the truth Welcome is, Amabola <laughs> had a stellar application for the Northeast Writing Project uh, and that we had to postpone several times because of COVID, but we finally got that up and running. So it's my job to introduce Don P. Hooper, a writer, a filmmaker of Jamaican heritage, and a programmer in a former life. His short story, Got Me a Jet Pack, is part of the New York Times bestselling anthology, Black Boy Joy. His directing work has been featured in the Martha Vineyard's African-American Film Festival, the New York TV Film Festival Award winner, the New York City Horror Film Fest Festival, the New Jersey Horror Con and Film Festival Award winner, and more. He does voiceover and video games and documentaries. True, true, this is it right here, is his debut novel. This is so exciting. Welcome, Don. And it's my pleasure to introduce Abambola Kolkai Lewis, an ethnomusicologist. Abambola Kolkai Lewis is a New York City Department of Education teacher and an adjunct assistant professor at York College, part of the City University of New York. Welcome, Abambola. Abambola, um, you know, we're not going to stop and write in this interview, but we would love for you to share an idea about something reader, listeners or readers could write about in preparation for reading True True? 
Sure. So True True, I'm so glad to be here with you all. True True elicited so many memories of home. For me, I'm a Brooklynite, Brooklyn through and through, born and raised. So thinking about the Brooklyn Bridge, that reminds me of home. Thinking about Juve, which is a festival that happens on Eastern Parkway on Labor Day weekend, that reminds me of home. But there might be other things that remind people of their respective homes. Very nice. Excellent. So Evan Bowl is inviting you to think about what home means to you. And if you'd like to stop your video now and do a little writing before you listen to our interview, we'd invite you to do that. But otherwise, we are going to go ahead and move ahead. So I am going to stop sharing my screen. I'm going, Brian and I are going to um, say goodbye for the next little bit while you, Avambola, and Don get a chance to talk to one another about Don's book, True True. Have a great Good time. time. Hello again, Don. It is a pleasure to be here and to have the opportunity to be in conversation with you about True True. As someone who went to prep schools from K to 12 and could really identify with that experience, there was a lot of rich material there. My first question for you is, your Instagram description indicates that you're from the era when Brooklyn was Brooklyn and you're still here. As a Brooklynite, I believe that there are many ways to interpret this statement, but what is its actual meaning and how does it connect to True True? You know, I, I never actually uh, knew if people read that part of my bio. <laughs> it's just one of those things that I wrote it years ago uh, on another social media account. And then when I did Instagram, I put it over there. Um, I think that's just like a, a, a huge conversation point for me because it, it means so many things. Okay. I think for my era, we always think of like the era uh, of Biggie Smalls, of Notorious B.I.G. Um, it, but to me, it, it really, I think I wrote that around the time that the Barclays Center was being erected wow. and the economic landscape of Brooklyn was changing. Uh, a lot of mom and pop stores were getting pushed out, closed down. Um, they weren't uh, able to uh, pay the exorbitant markup in rent that the, the owners were charging. Um, and the home atmosphere that I had when I walked through the streets of Brooklyn, like for some reason, whenever, even when I was a kid, when I walked through Brooklyn, there was like this moment where you'd see somebody and they'd say hello, um, regardless of how dangerous or whatever that Brooklyn came off as there was always a sense of community and that started to dissipate. And that's kind of what I, I think of when I say the era when Brooklyn was Brooklyn. It was like that sense of community uh, that was always around, that was that I felt like was raising me, you know? Um, and that kind of disappeared. So that that's the era uh, from when Brooklyn is Brooklyn. And it, it, it means so much more that I, I could get into, uh, but that, that that's definitely a big part of it. Thank you for that. But thinking about community and how community raises you, your character, the main character, the protagonist, Gil Powell, he's living in the midst of a community within Brooklyn where he's living with his family, but he has all of these people around him, his cousin, his dojo, friends, Reg and Stretch. How does community ground Gil as a character and how does it shape him in your book? I think, I think it's about their shared experiences. Mm -hmm. um they, they they share several things from you know the way the world sees them you know 
as sure. as black young men um the way they were raised as caribbeans you know like uh two of them were born here uh and right. reg was born uh in haiti and um i think they they share that they share that culture they sense they share family um there was a huge line that i, I had in there where uh you know reg calls gill's grandma grandma you know right. like we're family it extends beyond right. blood um it's because like i was there at your parents house they raised me too they are a part of this so that's right. part of the community that i think of it's, it's part of what makes brooklyn brooklyn at a certain point is that your neighborhoods your your the people around you uh whether it's church or whether it's outside of church just like kind of help uh build you up as a person you know yes. um so that that's that's very huge for me is that that they are sharing things but they're also sharing with each other and i think yeah. that's a, a topic that you know gil has to wrestle with is like what does he share now that he's at this different point of his life how does he share his stories because now he feels separated from them yes. um he feels like i've gone to this this school that they are not going to am i different can I share these stories with you without feeling like um, like I'm going on some type of ego trip or I'm like, um, right. yeah. So, so, so I think, I think that's what, what, what it means to me is about that, that sense of community uh, that it's more than, you know, there's always this distinction, like, is this person acquaintance or is a friend? Uh, is this person a friend or is they, are they family? And that's the thing is like, when I say I call somebody fam, that means like mm -hmm. they are literally part of my family. Like, exactly. And that's what it is to me. It's, it's 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 that sense of community and family. Like to me, family is is even bigger than community, and and I think we lose that sometimes when we talk about community. For sure. And you know, one of the things that's been bouncing around in my head about Gil as a character is what he was willing to share. So, and I was wondering, you know, you referenced what he was sharing after he got to Augustine Prep. But one of the questions that I had in reading through the book is how much was he truly sharing with Stretch and Reg or even his cousin Renee before when he was at Union? Was he really open to sharing? Because it felt like there was, was a part of him that was closed off. And I, for me, it came through in those places where you wrote about um, Stretch always smiling. You know, so it's that surface level and not necessarily wanting to share too much because they didn't talk about their feelings in that way. And I was wondering um, if, as a character, you felt that Gil would be the kind of character who would share openly, freely. They were family, they were community, but it seems like there was something that he was withdrawing or holding back ever so slightly. I think that's definitely what happens to him because I don't think until he got to Augustine that he realized that he was compartmentalizing so much of himself and right. Reg was compartmentalizing certain things and stretch compartmentalizes it. How, and, and I think we, especially like for black boys, teens, there is a sense that you could, you always have to have this toughness or when you face the world because your body is constantly under assault. Um, who you are is under assault and you don't get to just, be soft and be able to talk about your emotions. Right. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of centered this fight and this war around somebody who was trained in martial arts. It's mm -hmm. like, I have toughened myself up. I've fought, you know, I know how to do that. Right. But that isn't the fight that he's facing. 
none of that matters in this kind of fight. You know, all of that doesn't doesn't help him. And um, for him, it, it, there, there's this reckoning when he realizes that he hasn't been talking to his friends and family for so long. And right. and Stretch is like a huge character, and I, it, it's I'm I'm happy that you found you saw that part about Stretch's character. Um, because it was it was a big thing that I was doing in rewrites is how to dis- make sure to distinguish between Reg and Stretch and where yeah. they fit into his life. Okay. Um, and there is this thing with with Stretch about his silence, how he just doesn't know how to talk to his friends because he's supposed to be this person who brings joy and this thing. And he doesn't want to bring anybody down. He exactly. kind of just wants to be like, hey, here, I'm just here to, I, I don't want to even think about the things that I have to think about at home. I just yeah. want to have be the pe- the person I was when we were in third grade, when I didn't have those issues, when we were first friends. And I'm trying right. to maintain that. And that armor is breaking down for him as well. And sure. he doesn't know how to do that. Like he's, he's trying to balance out, like being that happy place between Reg and Gil who are going through all these things. And then he doesn't know if like his struggle is as important as theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a problem for him as well. It's like, and I think all of us, like we all struggle through certain things and then we start comparing our struggles with each other right. and it doesn't invalidate what we're going through. Um, and, and stretches has to think about that for himself. You know, uh, he is like kind of a, a secondary character, but um, it, 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 it makes me happy that you picked up on that. He was one of my favorite characters because I saw aspects of him and me, you know, when you're not trying not to mm. rock the boat, you just, you know, you're, you're showing up, you're the affable person. Oh, you know, you crack the jokes, but then there are these moments where they're heavy. And how do you open those conversations up? And the thing that was very interesting is once Gil got to Augustine Prep and everybody is questioning him, he starts wondering, um, do I belong? Do I belong? And I was wondering if you could speak about how that connects to what might be in the headlines right now related to diversity, equity, and inclusion and affirmative action and how people are perceiving the presence of students who are um, BIPOC or, or you know, students who are Black or Indigenous and how they uh, appear at schools and they're grappling with these identities. So I was wondering if you could speak about that a bit. Yeah, I think, you know, th- this is the year year that the Supreme Court has done so much to to stage an attack on so many different uh, human rights or just to the existence of, of, of human humanity and uh, exerting authority over people's bodies and yes. for, for me dealing with the the issue of affirmative action and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, It was was a big part of why I I wanted that in the book. Um, I wanted uh, people to discuss it because there is no such thing as colorblind admissions, uh, the way that, you know, the argument that is, that comes from one side, because like everything, mm-hmm. if racism were to be obliterated today, and we said racism didn't exist today in this hypothetical world, yes. what about yesterday? Exactly. What about the two days before that? What about the week before that? Sure. What about all those things that got us to hit here? And the lasting impact of it. Like, okay, yeah. if it doesn't exist now, 
right. what happened all in all of those years before that. And this this assault on affirmative action, which didn't necessarily help certain populations, like the poor black people who are economically poor, yes. uh, financially poor, yes. uh, were never helped by affirmative action mm-hmm. um, in any real way. And to, to deal, it, it, it's one of those things that just gets you, gets you angry. <laughs> and I always okay. try to maintain my tone in, in certain regards in, uh, on interviews. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's how, how do you deal with all of that when you're just trying to be a student? He, exactly. His goal is just like he wants to succeed in robotics, but he has yeah. this super pressure that he puts on himself because yes. he wants to succeed for his family as well. Right. And now he has to deal with like, oh, I'm here. I finally get access to these resources. I did this. But people are okay. looking at him a certain way. He's getting assaulted a certain way. And now yeah. how does he deal with all of the, these issues um, that, that are surrounding it? Uh, yeah. And that, that's just heavy for any person at any stage of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, I, I don't know if I answered the original question. Um, no, definitely, definitely. I, I definitely think that that's just a conversation that needs to continue happening where we talk about what we're experiencing, who we are and our identities constantly. And I hate that so often it's like this one, one-off conversation that people have or schools will have and it's never carried out. It's never gone on in a like week to week, moment right. to moment. Uh, right. Schools will have like, here's cultural day or, exactly. you know, and he, here's everybody's food. But like, yeah. what does that mean? Right. What does that mean? Like, when you think about Sunday dinners in the black community, or you think about those movies like Soul Food, it's, yes. it's not just about the food. It's right. like, we're all bringing right. this dish and we're yes. sharing something. We're yes. contributing to this table and the table keeps growing and growing. And it's all of our experiences. It's all of our, like we're pouring love into each plate. Yes. Um, and then we're coming together and like the food is there, but it's, it's about that family experience, that shared experience that we all have. And that's what he is trying to build with this community or he's trying to figure out what that means in this new era, this place. Um, and and, and this, the, the, the situation with affirmative action and it, it's just that, you know, black people, especially economically, uh, Poor people um, in impoverished neighborhoods never had never benefited from from those things in the first place. But the fact that they're striking it down is an yes. issue there because it's it's an erasure. It it's very is. much erasure, just the way book bannings are erasure. You know, it's trying to attack cultures and people uh, to say that they don't belong. Right. Knowing very well that the fact that once these admissions, when once the Harvards, the Yales yes. of the world, the Pens mm-hmm. of the world, look at all these applications, they're right. looking at people who come from a privileged background because they have access to all these things exactly. that set them up for this, right? Yeah. How did they get access to all of these things that yeah. make them this stellar student? Right. Yeah, well, we have to talk about that. So we're here in this moment where Apparently racism doesn't exist and everything is level, but everything before that affects right. this moment. Right. And we have to address that. 
for sure. Because it's systemic and it's structural and there's a lot to be unpacked there. And, you know, in listening to you talk about affirmative action, it makes me think about Black Augustine and that section of your book where the students, the Black students are mobilizing, the students of color are mobilizing through social media to get their stories out there and to promote an awareness. And it's something that I noticed happening during the racial reckoning. There were lots of different accounts. Even the school I went to, the students said that they were going to take a stance. And in following that motion and following that um, activist spirit, my question was, and my question is to you as well, what's the, the lasting effect when you're, when you're taking the action online? We see what happens in the book, but in real life, um, based on what you were just saying even, do you feel like there's a lasting impact that is uh, occurring when people in prep schools are taking action on social media? Definitely. I think 100%. Like, right now we're in this, this moment where the writers are on strike, yes. SAG after is on strike, mm -hmm. um, United Auto Workers are on strike, flight attendants have voted for a strike authorization. In the summer, mm -hmm. the UPS voted for a strike authorization and they were able to fight for uh, what they wanted for part-time workers. And yes. the amount of people who came out during the first two months of the writer's strike I don't think any of that happens if not for 2020. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because the way people turned out and they were so quick to like rally behind a cause, none right. of that happens if not for the protests around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, yes. which was that all grew from whether it be Me Too, Black Lives Matter, yes. uh, Trayvon Martin's murder, sure. all those things escalated to people yeah. being like, we've had enough and they went out into the streets and yeah. sure like after a month and a half it kind of you know it, those protests subsided in a way mm -hmm. but people are activated people are ready to go and fight back they're not yeah. like when i when i talk to teens uh mm -hmm. when i talk to the college students who, who live through that right. you know they are they're invigorated mm -hmm. um run, running picket lines in those first two months whether I was at a, a at a picket line at two or three a.m. or going towards you know nine eight p.m. like ten p.m., there were teenagers out there that just like we stand behind this. This is not right. This is the job I want in the future. Um, I don't even want to be a, I don't even want to be a writer. I'm just a fan. And the reason they're activated is because they saw it was possible. Sure. They saw in 2020 people were ready to stand up. And I think that is the lasting effect. Yes. I think that, you know, it's sad that we're we're constantly under assault and we're we're we have to I, I think all of us want that moment where it's just the win, yes. where it ends and we're finally right. here and we could just right. chill. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know if that happens because the attack has been going on for centuries, right? Mm -hmm. It's the 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 push towards economic disparity has been going going on for centuries. Right. The the income disparity from like where is the where I forgot if it's the lowest paid or the median worker to the CEO. Right. It used to be like one to fourteen, um, yeah. and now it's like one to one thousand three hundred thirty seven. You know that that percent difference uh, in income levels, sure. um, and, and people have the information. People yes. are activated and sharing the information. They're sharing their stories. That's that community happening again. 
Like, sure, you could go on social media and you may just be seeing like some trivial fun videos, but people are sharing the, the bad stuff too. Yes. And when those moments happen and they share that, people like start sharing and that's when that community starts happening and people start being more aware. And mm. when they see that you've had the similar experience, like I know a lot of writers felt like they were alone. And because of this, they feel like unified, like, oh, okay, you had that too, you had, but we didn't feel like we had a chance to talk about this in public. But because of the strike, now we could talk about this in public. And I think um, even with race, when you think about prep schools, a lot of times uh, when black students and BIPOC students uh, go to prep schools, they don't feel like they could share their stories in any real way, right. you know, because people are right. looking at them and they don't want, there's that feeling like you don't want them to feel uncomfortable because then you become the pariah, right? you know, and everyone's looking at you and it's like, oh, the, why can't you just be stretched? Just be happy. Exactly. Just smile through it. Right. Um, and stretch right. is kind of giving him, it gives Gil that kind of tool. He's like, maybe you could use this tool that I've been using to deal with my emotions. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's been he's been using that to just deal with himself. Yeah. Um, so so I think that so so I think we are activated. I think it does have a lasting effect. I think it it's it stinks sometimes that we can't just have this definitive win. Um, but seeing so many more people ready to fight back, yes. uh, ready to line up, um, yeah. I think that's the inspiring part. I think all those times, like even when I think of the the picket line, when I think of when I was at the protests in 2020 um, and, and I had to deal with police attacking, it's just like, mm -hmm. it's seeing that person next to me, ready yeah. to stand like that, that moment where you're afraid and you got like this person standing like, okay, if we all are here, yeah. you know, well, you know, they, they'll still attack, but <laughs> it's a whole other right. thing. <laughs> but, but you feel that, that there is a, a, a sense of security and comfort in that. And to, to see that people are standing, that is the lasting effect. That is the that, that is the thing that's the positive that comes out of it. In listening to you, it made me think of several scenes from True True. It made me think of the scenes where Gil is talking about being at a protest with his dad and the police roughing them up. It made me think about the police at Juve when um, Reg Stretch and Gil were just trying to go get something to drink. And it made me think about how when he was in his community or with family, Gil just felt so empowered and he was ready. But there was this moment of wavering, not that he wasn't going to defend himself because he did with his stiff khakis and all, you know, he would defend himself But in, <laughs> in those moments, you know, and listening to you, I just put it together. Like there were different ways he was going to respond as with all of us in, in how he would be activated, you know, with his dad, he was going to protest with Reg and Stretch, yeah, I'll say something to the police. But then at Augustine Prep, there was this moment when he first arrived where he was literally just counting the hours to get to the end of a Friday. So I was wondering um, your intentionality with that. Was it to, to show the, the diversity of his responses per se or, or the, the way he would have to make those sudden judgment calls for how he was gonna be activated, how Gil was gonna be activated, how he was going to respond? when he was encountering these different situations. If that makes sense, I, I see it. No, <laughs> no, 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 it, it does. You, you ask really uh, thoughtful questions and I have to think. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have to reflect. Um, I, think, I think for Gil, 
you, you brought it up succinctly. There's this moment that he's able to do this when he's with his when he was with his dad. There's this moment he's able to do this when he's with Reg and Stretch. He, he's yeah. like, okay, I could stand up. But right. now he's at a new school and he's isolated. He right. feels isolated. And I, I think we don't talk about that enough, how isolation affects us, how isolation yeah. affects teenagers. Like just because you're on a club or activity and you appear to have friends, doesn't mean like you feel like you, doesn't mean that you feel that you could rely on somebody, that you have somebody to talk to. Talk to. That's, you have somebody that has your back. And when we say that uh -huh. someone has our back, it doesn't mean that someone has our back in a fight, but it's also right. somebody like, I hear you and I believe what you're saying and I think your feelings are valid. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what Gil struggles with. He's like, he doesn't know if he has that. Right. You know, there's, there's a sense of gaslighting and is this accurate, is this real? And, yeah. and he has to, to wrestle with that because he, he's never had to think about that in many ways, like always being around BIPOC students yes. uh, inside Union, he never had to think about Blackness. Exactly. He didn't have to think about what that meant to him. And then he's now at a, a school where it's like, there's a Black club, a Black culture club. Right. Like, why is that needed? Mm. He never like, really has a chance to think about, like, why is that needed? And like, oh, there, there's a reason why this needs to exist here. Um, right. Because people have been afraid and they're hiding. Um, and, and not necessarily in a, in a, a physical danger way, yes. but afraid to share who they are, to share their family experiences because of how they may be judged because right. they realize the moment they walk in that they're not the norm, that their mm -hmm. body is other. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, okay, what do I have to do now? Um, this is weird. Like when Janelle feels like somebody grab her hair, you yes. know, it, it feels yeah. like it's, I, I know somebody could say something like that is cliche, but the fact is it still happens. It it's still a real thing and it's still a, an assault. Like if somebody just grabs your hair, like what, like, right. like what gave you the right to touch my body? Like that's a part of me mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's a violation. So yeah. they're all like looking for this safe comfort zone. And I think that's, that's a huge part for him is like dealing with this isolation. And then now I'm in also a different economics state like all these people who got to go here, like I don't know where their economic state is. Just because they're they're also black, does that mean I could trust them? That I could open mm. myself up to them? Yeah, I don't know that. Like like you mentioned that you were you went to a prep school. Like how was that for you? It was, you know, it's interesting. It would be what Renee describes in your book. So at first, you know, they're all of these black students, and it was an international school. So I was there kindergarten. It wasn't um, to me as noticeable. Like I knew that we were all different cultures. So-and-so is from the Philippines. So-and-so is from the Caribbean. Some, you know, some of my friends were from Haiti. Some of my friends were like me, they were American, but one parent was from somewhere else because my father was Sierra Leonean. But then by high school, just like ill, you start to notice there's some other things going on. And that's when the Renee part where you start out with 15 and it's whittled down to six, you start looking around the room. There was some times when I was the only black student in the room. And I think I was hyper aware of it by high school because the attitudes, there was a shift. 
you know, in middle school, people would say, oh, look, uh, Abby, I've been to the Caribbean. I'm almost as brown as you. You know, they come back with the cornrows and the beads. And I would say, hmm, and I keep moving. And that's that's the stretch moment. You're not rocking the boat. You're, you're, you're being the person who sort of goes with the current. But by high school, it was, you know, it was the 90s. So the flip side of the 90s with MTV and Biggie is, oh, you live in Brooklyn? What's that like? So now you're a curiosity. It's like, yeah, you know, it, it's my life. And it's been the life that I've led at this school, in this school community from the time I was in kindergarten. And that was another thing, this um, almost disbelief that I could have spent my entire school time, my entire school career at that school. Because there is the assumption that you're like Gil, that you're coming in as somebody who's transferring in your senior year. And that moment, and it, there were students who transferred in, there were students who left. But uh, the most interesting thing about the experience was I got to be graduation speaker and people did mm. not see me stand at that podium. Well, it was a clap moment at, at first, but I was ready to step down because they revoted once and they revoted twice. And when they started to ramp up for the third revote, I, I quietly went to the principal. It wasn't, I, I wasn't activated in this moment. I went to the principal and said to him very directly, I see where this is going. I see where it stems from and I see where it's going. I've spoken to my family about this. I've spoken to my mentors, my black mentors at the school who were in utter disbelief. I spoke to them about it. And if people do not want me to stand up and represent our class, I am totally fine with stepping back. Because for me, it was like a fluke. It's like, I didn't really want it. But once I've started writing the speech and there are people who are still jostling for this visibility, it was, to me, it was hard to deal with. And at first I thought, oh, I'm making a big deal. But then, one of my white classmates came to me at one of these reunions. It was a five, a 10, a 15, a five milestone. And he said, you know what? I just want to acknowledge that it was wrong. And I was stunned because I wasn't walking around complaining, lamenting, blah, blah, but that somebody had watched it, you know, and that's the moment where you're not um, a bystander and upstander, you're not complicit. You just noticed it and you filed it away. And when things start to bubble back up to the surface and you see me, we've gone to college, grad school, like all of these major life events have happened in between. For me, the emotion just welled up. And I told him, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Cause he was also someone who had been in the school community K to 12, but he was a white student who lived immediately by the school and his mom worked at the school. So I'm thinking, I don't need to complain about it. You know, we're real mm -hmm. Brooklyn place. It is what it is. <laughs> it, I'm just going to deal with it. But um, that moment, um, I will never forget it for, you know, like there are lots of moments in True True that if if Gil were um, somebody who's like my niece's age, who's 16, I'm sure there are things going, you, you won't forget it because the impression is there. And it's so deep, like you're talking about. And like Renee talks about, like there's a degree of trauma, but you keep moving. You compartmentalize it. It's like, oh, that happened. Let me pack it up, put it away. 
because I have to get ready for the next thing, you know? So that that's one side of it, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. Like my best friends, one of my friends is here from Botswana. My, my best, best friend is here in the city now, but we said to one another the other day on a WhatsApp call, <laughs> uh, you know, it's nothing but um, divine intervention and our parents that sustain us. Our parents were like <laughs> hypervigilant. Like my mom read the New York Times when I went to the senior party. People were like, your mom's downstairs reading the newspaper. I was like, I know. <laughs> like, you're not gonna get, like, I know she's there. <laughs> but these are the moments. To me, it was an embarrassment that she was always present, but it started to reveal to me that because many other students, their parents were ambassadors, their parents traveled, mm. their parents were constantly working, that um, that presence was missing, or it was a fraction of that because parents thought that the students would be okay. And you know, it was um, it was the best experience and one of the most eye-opening experiences. You know, long way of <laughs> of answering your question, but there was a lot that happened where. And sitting with True True, I was like, yeah, this prep school life is not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not. And I feel like it's, you know, you come from Brooklyn or you come from any uh, deep, deep uh, urban area. They're going to be like, oh, you're going to like a, a prep school and it's going to be easy for you. And it's like, no, you know, you, you have no friends, no community, <laughs> nobody that's going to immediately empathize with you. Right. Um, there may be a distance involved and right. now you have whether you have one or two parents can they be at the school like yeah, your mom was there you know can she the, the, do, do they have time to go there because that's yeah. like they have to do the commute and then they always have to do uh whatever else to, to, to maintain a household yes um yeah. so it's a blessing that your, your mom's there but as a teenager obviously you're like why is my mom here that's gotta be yes. stressful because like anytime mm -hmm. when i was in grade school and my mom showed up i'm like oh but man when she came with food i was so happy i was, I was so happy like i i, I think yes. I, like when i was in college and i thought back i was like man i wish my parents would just show up right now <laughs> like, right. Like, oh my god i cannot yes. do this alone exactly um, Exactly. So yeah, that, that, that's another level of isolation. It's like when you realize like, it, it, you know, that's one of those, maybe it's a good moment of isolation. Like, oh, you appreciate all the things that you took it, you didn't uh, recognize were important to you before. Um, and I, I know Gil has that moment not having his dad around. He's like, didn't realize how important uh, having him there, having somebody who was like rooting him on. Yes. Um, so that's great. Yes. It's, you know, we have time for one more question and I have like a hundred in my mind. I'm like, which question, <laughs> which question? Um, one of the things I would say to close us out, I saw um, a portion of an interview with you and Kwame Mbalia and you were talking about your writing process and how the subway was like a fixture for you to get work and writing done from when you were in school up until now, it seemed. And I was wondering if you could speak about that and finding for those who are writers, whether they're students or teachers or staff, um, finding that place, the best place to write. And even if you wanted to talk about your writing process for True True, 
what does that look like? And how can you find the best place to write? I, I think it's finding places where you feel safe or that triggers some type of emotion in you. I feel like on the train, if you're able to get on and have a seat and then watch the train build up, for me, that captures the, the atmosphere of New York. Mm. But if you're also like, the reason I have a library in Grand Armory Plaza in there is because that was a sanctuary for me as a child. Going yeah. to the library, being around books, this yeah. is where this was the place where I could be myself. You know, sure. myself was a person who could just read and whatnot. And the librarian is somebody I could talk to. I'm like, hey, this is the crazy stuff that I'm interested in reading and not what I'm getting in school necessarily. I just wanted a character like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and they would, you know, um, tell me about books that they may not have had in stock and be like, hey, if you could go get this, you know. Right. Uh, so I think for, for, for young writers, I think the, 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 the most important thing is to always journal and walk around with a notebook. Um, I know you have your phone and, 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 and you know, if, if it's a phone, it's, it's fine too. Uh, but like wherever you are and you feel an emotion to start jotting it down. And then mm -hmm. once you start doing that, you start discovering what places kind of trigger emotions more frequently. And those emotions are gonna be the stuff that will inform characters and will inform setting uh, throughout your writing. Um, and, and I think that's just just super important. You know, I know writers, Julian Winters goes off to like the location that he's gonna write in, uh, like Prince of Palisades. I uh, went there in, in, in Santa Monica, I think, um, to just capture that environment. Some people I know when they write in New Orleans, they go to there to experience it. But I think just immersing yourself and letting that atmosphere uh, rain down on you uh, just really helps to, to, to free your, your mind and your emotions. Thank you so much for that. We wanted Thank to listen to this conversation longer. We, we were texting behind the scenes saying, this is a real conversation and it feels rude to break in. <laughs> like you got to, it was it was awesome. And you went to where I knew you were going to go. And I'm I'm so intrigued by, yet again, another book that our schools have always needed, but it has, mm -hmm. they haven't been written yet. These are the books that kids, kids need to explore. Kids need to understand. Kids need to find. Kids need to relate to. Um, and I, I, I told Tanya, I was only going to, I was going to stick it to one question or one, one comment. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> I just going to, I, this is on page 82 and, and I just have to point it out because it was not mentioned in your conversation. So true to grandma always been my hero. Today is no different. She took an hour-long train ride straight up here, stormed into the dean's office like she owned the place, and is going to war for me, end quote. So in the beginning, I talked about September being the time when monarchs fly south, their generation, they fly back and they, they recreate the whole this whole cycle of butterflies. And I've always had an affinity for butterflies from when my grandmother died, because my grandmother was an influence on my life in a way that grandmother's or that Gra Gil's grandmother was on him. And I was just thinking about, so where did, is is that character of grandma someone related to you? Is it someone you know? Is it a general, you know, multi-generational conversation? Because she brings home space. What is a home? She brings that home into school, right? It, which kind of breaks the barriers of the boundaries and, and the in-between space. And I love that she was the one who came into that school and asked the vice principal, do you know math? 
Can you do basic? <laughs> it was, it was like, this woman is like my hero and I don't even know who she is. And so talk to me a little bit about the grandma character. She just like a, a huge compilation of all of many or all of the amazing women who have influenced me in my life. Um, I, I definitely know when I was a kid and you have an emergency contact in grade school and, and something happens at the school, my aunt would be the first person to show up um, because my parents were at work. My mom, you know, worked midnight till whenever she got out of the hospital and my dad worked 12 hour shifts. Um, so my aunt would come. Um, my grandparents were always tied at my grandma with my grandmother they're both tied into uh the culture of the caribbean and they always like taught me so they, they taught me so much um introduced me to my first operetta you know oh, wow. um and and you just you know education was very important to them uh so 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 it's a compilation of that you know like they they'd have my back they they root me on and cheer me on and 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 without that i you know would i have survived i don't know you know um so so that that's what grandma is uh i, I think of so many grandmas that my friends had and i knew their grandmothers you know um i, I knew them more than their parents because they were the ones that were home when the when they had one or two parents who were working you know and you were around the grandma <laughs> and it was just like, that's, uh, that's my family, you know? And that, that's how it was when I was a kid. Uh, so, so grandma's just an important fixture. And it's, it's always sad. Um, when, when a grandparent passes, it's, it's not like you're, it's just your family that's lost that person. It's, it's everyone. That's the person who gave, who had all the stories that weren't written down that you would just sit by it. it even though there was no fireplace, it's that moment that you feel like you're sitting by a fireplace and someone's telling a story. And you're like, wow, why aren't these stories all collected? And now I'm thinking, wow, why did I not write them down and wish I had a camera and film them? But like, that's what it was. It's it's the sage, the griot, that's just like sharing all these stories with you and like taking it down for generations. And it's like, wow. Um, this is when we talked about um, that question before, is there an impact? And that's the lasting impact uh she is passed on to gil that fighting spirit that's good and i love that i love that you said she's a compilation of all the women i've ever known you know because that's you know like all the strength because you know like yeah it was just what a good answer and because like it, it comes that comes out from the pages like it just radiates from the pages so tanya <laughs> i am gonna um give abimbo the opportunity to um share a opportunity for people to write out of this amazing conversation um, before I say goodbye and thank you. So Abimbola. Sure. So our closing prompt is Gil Powell, the protagonist in True True, struggles to achieve a sense of belonging at school. What is something that you can do to help students in your classroom community feel like they belong? Nice. Thank you so much for that for, and for this great conversation, Avamboa and Don. It's been really amazing. I think what I would add to what Brian has already said about what was great about it is, um, you know, Brian said we have had the great opportunity on the right time, over 50 shows, to find books that weren't previously in classrooms or on library shelves that are so important to young people. Um, and I also feel like again and again, we get to have conversations or I get to listen mostly to conversations 
between teachers and writers who both really care about why it's so important for the books to be on the shelves. And, and I think that in this, as a, as participants in this conversation, our listeners can gain new understandings of things that they might know intellectually, but not have internalized in their heart or in their practice or in their, uh, you know, the way they think about the community of inside and outside of school and how schools are or aren't welcoming. And it, it's, I think it, I think these conversations move our hearts in to catch up with our brains. So thank you so much for this conversation. I think it was really powerful, really important. And Brian wasn't lying. We were texting, like, how long can we let go on any more questions can we let Abambola ask we keep going because it was amazing and we're really thankful to both of you it's also my job to say thank you to my co-host Brian and to all the listeners and viewers of this webinar um, we hope you enjoyed it as much as Brian and I did and we hope that you'll go get true true and read it and put it on your classroom bookshelf as soon as you get the opportunity and we hope you loved it so much that you don't want to miss another right time. So please uh, go to nwp.org and sign up for our newsletter so that you'll know when they're coming. Join our Right Now Teacher Studio where teachers hang out and talk about great books like this and pra classroom practices. You can join that at studio.nwp.org or follow if you, like Brian, like to listen to these conversations while you walk your dog. Um, you can find all of the right times at um, NWP Radio. So I'm going to stop there and say good evening to everyone. To Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.